everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We're going to preview the NFL playoffs, wildcard weekend this week. I'm going to be joined by fansides Russell Baxter to preview the postseason, recap the happenings of Week 17, talk a little bit coaching openings, all that good stuff with Russell Baxter in just a bit. I will also be joined to do the wild card weekend picks with Troy Moriello, the Cowboys fan we spoke to back in week four. The playoff challenge starts this week on the podcast, so if I'm making those picks with Troy in just a bit, make sure you're locked into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill where we recap the season that was of The Mandalorian, which was great stuff. A-plus material from Star Wars, much better than the last Jedi or the Rise of Skywalker ended up being. I have my thoughts there, but stick around for this week's opening tip where we recap the two semifinal games of the college football playoff right after this. Burrow dodges the rush, going for Jefferson again. It's another touchdown. And he beat Woody Washington newly into the game for the ejected Radley Hiles. All right, we are back with this week's opening tip. That call is her courtesy of ESPN's college football coverage of the college football playoff. Joe Burrow tossing another touchdown for the LSU Tigers as they walloped Oklahoma in the college football playoff semifinals. As Bill Bender said on the podcast, Bill Bender of the Sporting News, during our conversation last month about the college football playoff, the big concern for the Sooners was could their defense slow down Joe Burrow? And the answer was clearly no. They could not. At the half of this game, Joe Burrow completed 21 of his 27 passes for 403 yards and seven touchdowns. That's in just a half of football. That's crazy, folks. That's incredibly efficient offense from Joe Burrow and the Tigers who advanced to the national title game. And what a performance by Joe Burrow in this game. If you are a Cincinnati Bengals fan and your team has the top pick in the draft in April, you have to be super excited that Joe Burrow is going to be your quarterback of the future. I mean, Joe Burrow on Saturday against the Sooners made pretty much every throw. He was throwing on the run. He was throwing from the pocket. He was hitting throws deep down the field. He was throwing outside the numbers with zip. He was accurate. Joe Burrow showed you everything you could possibly want out of a future franchise quarterback. And if you're a Bengals fan, I will be super happy right now. I know Andy Dalton has done some good things in this franchise. They won a lot of division titles with him. They went to the playoffs with him a bunch, but never won a playoff game. If Zach Taylor and his staff can develop Joe Burrow correctly, that should no longer be an issue. I would expect a lot of potential winning in Cincinnati if they can build the right foundation around Joe Burrow. Now, this game also was a complete whitewashing for the Sooners. They got ran off the field. Don't want to waste any more time on that game because it was over at the half. There was no chance. It's a matter of how much longer Joe Burrow was in play. And Joe Burrow did pick up an eighth touchdown in the game. But this was over. I kind of tuned out pretty quickly after they started throwing all these touchdowns. And we got to the nightcap, which was the game of the day between Ohio State, which looked like the best team for most of the year, and Clemson, our defending national champions. And the Buckeyes race out to the big early lead, but Clemson rallies. 
Clemson wins, although not without any controversy in this game. There are a couple of big calls the referees made that did alter the outcome of this game. First of all, there was a targeting play against Wild Ohio State's corners where he sacked Trevor Lawrence. He used his helmet. The crown of it did make contact with the side of Lawrence's helmet. He gets ejected from the game, extends the LSU dr- extends the Clemson drive, excuse me, and they score a touchdown on the drive. Later in the game, Ohio State forces a fumble, picks it up, runs it to the house for a touchdown, but calls overturned. According to the refs, the receiver did not maintain possession throughout the catch, did not do enough, which I thought that was sketchier because he catches the ball, he makes a turn, secures it, makes a couple of steps. At that point, the ball comes out. It's dicey to overturn it there. I guess by the letter of the law, it's correct, but this goes back to the whole what's a catch thing that we had going on in the pros viewers back. I don't like that whatsoever. That is very concerning to me that we're having this issue again. Took seven points off the board, but Ohio State also had chances on their own to win this game. Justin Fields throws two big interceptions in the game. Clemson finds a way to win. They grind out a 29-23 victory, and now we are set for the all-Tiger showdown in New Orleans on January 13th for all the Marbles and the, and the college football national championship game. This should be a massive home field advantage for LSU, considering this is in New Orleans. A lot of their fans will come. A lot of their fans will be in attendance at this game, but you you cannot count Clemson out of this game. They're Tigers, and it's funny. This is an all-Tiger Bowl now. Clemson has the experience to win it all. They have a quarterback who will be the first overall pick in next year's draft in Trevor Lawrence. They have a defense that's far superior to Oklahoma's. They have a lot of pro prospects on it, led by outside linebacker Isaiah Simmons. They have a ton of guys who have experience of winning a ring in the clutch. And it'll be interesting to see how the moxie at Clemson, how their history of being in the playoff year after year after year and winning it will fare against the LSU team that's in it for really the first time. This group has not been here before. Joe Burrow is the best player on the field right now, but does Clemson have the more complete team? Remains to be seen. It will be a lot of fun down in New Orleans on the 13th. We'll keep an eye on that stuff for you. We'll talk about the championship game after it happens. But up next, our football playoff conversation with Russell Baxter right after this call from Fox Sports' Tom Brennan from Eagles-Giants in Week 17 when the Eagles went on the road, beat the Giants, sealed Pat Shermer's fate, and clinched the NFC East. They're going to get the snap off before the two-minute warning. Wentz looking around and throws all the way across the field, and it's a touchdown to Joshua Perkins. What a throw by Carson Wentz. All right, we are back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast. Week 17 of the NFL season is in the books. We are now ready to start the NFL postseason, and I wanted to bring on somebody I haven't heard from in a while on the podcast. He is part of the SI Pro Football Guru Network. He's been on my podcast last year to preview the Super Bowl, start the NFL playoffs by talking to Russell Baxter. Russell, welcome. How are you? Hello there, sir. How are you? Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Uh, I'll get April Fool's and 4th of July in there as well. 
Yeah, you gotta get those plugs in there. Before we know, it'll be Thanksgiving again. That's that's hey, and more 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 time to eat. So I I love this idea, but my last watched all the week seventeen games yesterday. What was your big takeaway from the final week of the season? Well, um, as I like to remind people, especially you saw it early on at one time um, in the afternoon. Uh, Green Bay was losing. Kansas City was losing at home. New England was losing at home. As we found out, New England wound up losing totally um, by game's end. Green Bay and Kansas City rallied. Um, I, I want to say it, before 2 o'clock, we saw those three teams losing, all having something to play for. Uh, an offensive tackle catch, a 30-something yard touchdown pass, and a quarterback touch, catch, a touchdown pass. My point is... Um, I like to remind people, and, and I'm not alone in this, that uh, these games are played by human beings. And uh, football is a very emotional game. It's obviously a very team-oriented game. And uh, the notion that teams, quote-unquote, have nothing to play for has always bothered me. And we see it time in and time out again in the final week of the season, close in the season. I mean, I, I was informed by numerous people this year that the Miami Dolphins were tanking the season. How on earth did they win five games? Good question. That's because they weren't tanking the season. That's my point. Okay. People saw what they were doing and assumed that they were just trying to lose. You know how hard it is for a team to tank a season in the NFL? I'm not saying that other teams and other sports haven't attempted to do that and so on. But uh, it, it just doesn't work that way in professional football. There's too many variables that go on. Um, and listen, there are players who want to play because it's, uh, it's they're team-oriented, um, but they also have their own personal goals and so on. So I find it hard to believe that an organization is basically telling their players, don't try. Um, and I think the Dolphins are a perfect example of that. You saw what Brian Flores uh, and you know Chris Greer were doing uh, and, and here's the other thing that I, I didn't understand. Miami last year, by the end of the season, was horrendous. They gave up 100 points in their last three games. Why on earth would you think they needed to tank if they were that bad to begin with? Yeah, you probably wouldn't. you think that they would do it on their own naturally. Right, exactly. So that the point was that they brought in Brian Flores. Brian Flores comes from the most successful culture in the league the last two decades, the New England Patriots. It took him a little while to get his message across, uh, and that's understandable. They were shipping players in and out. Now he'll be able to bring in, him and Chris Greer, the general manager, bring in the players that they want to bring in. They've got five picks in the first two rounds, and uh, who knows if they'll stay with that. Maybe they'll trade out, um, trade up, trade into next year and so on, but uh, I think he established a message there. And, you know, think about late in the year. They beat Philadelphia, and they beat New England. That's a lot to be said for that team. Yes, it has. And let's stick with that division for a minute, because I'm a Jet fan. I want to get the Jets out of the way. They go 7-9. after they go 6-2 and two down the second half of the season. I still have concern with the direction of this football team. What would you tell me as a Jet fan I should look forward to next season? Um, getting some offensive linemen. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the biggest issue for this team. Um, you know, Sam Darnold's still work in progress. Uh, he didn't play the entire season last year. He certainly didn't play the entire season uh, this year, but they could certainly use some help. They have not drafted an offensive lineman in the first round since 2006 when they took two, DeBrickishaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold. Uh, 
Um, you know, tried to do it via free agency. It's not like they haven't had some good offensive linemen there, but I think it's an area they really need to adjust. Um, their defense certainly made some strides. It was a shame that C.J. Mosley missed a great, uh, a great deal of the season. He got off to such a great start with that pick six in week one uh, against the Buffalo Bills. Um, there's certainly tools to work with there. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people were scratching their heads early in the season, but when you go through two, three quarterbacks in six quarters, that's really what it came down to if you think about it, okay? Um, you know, Sam Darnold started week one. Trevor Simeon started week two. I don't think he made it to halftime before he got hurt, and then Luke Falk came in. So you played three different quarterbacks in six quarters. And, uh, you know, obviously Falk had to hang in there for a couple of weeks until Darnold came back. It got them off, uh, you know, to a bad start. Um, you know, continuity is so important in this league. I think this is more promising than people would like to give it credit for. I'll be curious to see what Joe Douglas does as a, as a general manager. They, you know, have a, 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 like last year, they have a lot of faces in terms of uh, veteran free agents they have to make decisions on. So I'll be curious to see how they do it. But I, I, I would be more optimistic. You know, to, you know what's really goofy? Um, and you know, just my own personal opinion. If you're judging how Adam Gase was going to do this year, because so you saw a picture of his eyes bugged out a little bit, I mean, give us a break. Yeah, Gase has his own set of issues. I don't think the bug eyes is one of them. One thing I want to bring, yeah. bring up before we go on with the Jets is, like, the Le'Veon Bell thing, what would you do with that? Because I don't think they would get any value if they trade him. No, um, no. Uh, listen, uh, you're talking about a player who's immensely talented. You're talking about a player, you know, that one of the reasons I think the Steelers didn't want to make a long-term investment in terms of guaranteed money was because of his previous suspensions, okay? Um, you're also talking about a player who was willing to sit out an entire season. So I don't know what the value for somebody like that would be because I think any time you make a financial decision like that, you're going to have people around the league who will question whether you really want to play professional football fair or unfair so you know i i think they're better served keeping him to be honest maybe add a little depth at the running back position and and so on but to me again the offensive line is what needs to be bolstered for this team more than anything else and uh you know hopefully the jets will address that more through the draft than in free agency i think if you draft young offensive linemen and have them grow together, you're much better off than just coming in and, you know, signing five Anthony Munozes. So. Yeah, I think that makes sense as well. Let's go to Black Monday for a minute because we're recording on Black Monday. It's actually been a very light one in terms of coaches getting fired. We had two in season. As of recording, the Cowboys have not made a decision on Jason Gary. Yes, take them off the table. Of the four known openings, which one do you think is the most attractive for coaches? Oh, that's tough because what the one – what you have to also consider is who you will be working with, okay? So, um, you know, you look at Washington, and as of right now, um, I don't believe they've officially hired anyone, correct? Yeah, as of this recording, they have not. Yeah. So you're dealing with an owner who has gone through his share of coaches since he bought the team, okay? Um, I know you're not talking about Dallas, but it's a similar situation. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Jason Garrett. Uh, and I'll be curious to see what happens. 
I think it would surprise some people know that Jason Garrett's the second longest tenured head coach in the history of the Dallas Cowboys behind Tom Landry. Okay. You know, Jerry's gone through his share of coaches there. Um, I think there's some young talent in Carolina, but I think, uh, they also have to upgrade a defense, which has been the pride and joy of the franchise. I mean, you think for years, the guys they had, especially in the, you know, at one time, you know, the year they went to the Super Bowl with Josh Norman and Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis. And, um, you know, that, that was a pretty loaded defense. Their defense is, I just did my power rankings for fan sites, the final ones, and I have the Panthers dead last, even though they didn't have the worst record. And a lot of it had to do with the way they played down the stretch, especially um, defensively. So, uh, you know, all these jobs, you, what always happens with this is you're going to get someone who thinks they can fix things. Okay. Um, it, it's happened for years uh, with quarterbacks um, as well. Um, I think Cleveland obviously has talent, but you also have another owner with a kind of a quick hook um, and a franchise that just lacks continuity for lack of a better word. I mean, whoever gets the job is going to be the 12th different head coach for that team since 1999. They're in the division with the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've had three head coaches since 1969. So, um, I don't know, talent-wise, I guess raw talent-wise, you would probably have to think the Browns, okay? But again, there's a reason these teams are constantly changing head coaches, the way they're run at the top. Yes, that is a fair point. We'll save the Black Friday, Black Monday talk for another day. Let's get to the playoff matchups. Of the four games this weekend, we have the two AFC games on Saturday, two NFC games on Sunday. Which one intrigues you the most? I think the fun game is Minnesota-New Orleans. Um, you know, you have, uh, you know, the other games are three games where the teams did not play each other. Uh, the, the, I'm sorry, Minnesota and New Orleans did, play, did, did not play each other this year. Either did the AFC teams. The only rematch we have in the regular season is Seattle and Philadelphia. Uh, and Seattle went in there, you know, while Philly uh, was in the middle of its kind of slump. Um, and beat them kind of in, in an odd game where they gave Russell Wilson a lot to think about. They, they were all over him. He turned over the ball and so on, and Philadelphia just kept on uh, shooting themselves in the foot. I think Minnesota-New Orleans has the potential to be a wild game, hopefully for the Vikings, that Dalvin Cook is up and able. Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara, two of the better young backs in the league, and two teams that like maybe earlier in the season played a little better defensively but have not been sharp. Uh, defensively as a late, uh, you know, 13 and three and you're, you're a three seed. That should tell you something about uh, the NFC this year. Um, obviously there's a lot of curiosity about new England with the way they finished on Sunday um, and Buffalo Houston, you know, b both of those teams opted to rest people, uh, you know, uh, again, two teams that can play defense. Uh, to me, the thing to watch with Buffalo Houston is if is JJ Watt actually going to come back. And will he be a factor for the Texans? Yeah, J.J. Watt couldn't be a game wrecker in that game. I want to go back to the New England game for a second because it's the first time since 2009 that the Patriots do not have a bye in the first round. How big a deal is it for their chance of the fact that they actually have to play the extra game, potentially go on the road twice to try and get back to the Super Bowl? Well, listen, in New England, when you're in the playoffs as much as New England is, you get an opportunity to do things that never get done before, okay? I mean, they did come back in the Super Bowl down 25. 
Okay. Last year, they were the first team to win the Super Bowl the year after losing the Super Bowl since the 1972 Miami Dolphins. Here's, here's the, the, the thing that's really odd that I hear a lot about New England, okay? And to me, I've drawn the um, analogy that New England is Clemson. They're in there, so you better be wary, regardless of how they played the last week um, of the season. And, and again, that was shocking yesterday, that they lost that at home with something to play for. Keep in mind, last year, this was an 11-5 and team that was 3-5 and on the road and lost to five teams, none of which made the playoffs. Okay? This year, they lost to three division champions and the Miami game. And, you know, none of that means anything once you are in the postseason. Now, these teams, you'll remember, these teams played in the playoffs just two years ago um, when Marcus Mariota uh, was the quarterback for Tennessee. Remember, Tennessee went into Kansas City and was down big and made a big comeback and then went to New England and scored on the opening drive and then was the end of that game. So New England's got a little bit. And, and think of the irony. Ryan Tannehill, who spent all those years in Miami um, and faced the Patriots on countless occasions, um, now gets a chance at him uh, in the playoffs. So uh, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this weekend plays out because the matchups down the road to me are, I like the fact that um, there's only one rematch. I kind of like the fact that these teams have not played each other this year, at least. Now, listen, Tennessee smoked New England last year in Tennessee. Okay. Right. Rabel is the head coach and so on. And, uh, you know, how odd is, think about this. How odd is it? Mike Rabel, who had such success with the Patriots playing linebacker and obviously is a pass catching tight end especially in the red zone. Now he takes a football team up there to face his, his former coach in the playoffs. Yeah, that was an interesting turn of events. And I, I'm curious about that game. I'm curious to see what Tennessee will be able to do to counter them. You feel like they'd be a good matchup on paper for the Patriots. They had the big physical running back in Derrick Henry. They played defense very well. And you said they beat them up last year. So I would be shocked if it was a very close game. Well, being a, you know going up to Foxborough and winning, and I know they've lost twice at home this year. Um, but going up there and, and beating New England in the playoffs is, is a whole different story. Um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head the last time they lost a home playoff game. Um, I'm sorry, the 2012 AFC Championship game? That might have been it when Baltimore that, beat them. I think that's it, yes. Yeah, we have Baltimore and Anquan Bolden and Joe Flacco and, and all that. I think that's the last time they lost a home playoff game but I mean listen it's obviously it's obvious that New England isn't the New England that we have seen but at times last year they didn't look like New England of New England we see I just know they've been to the four of the last five Super Bowls the pedigree is there with the head coach and quarterback um, the defense is still capable although I thought Stefan Gilmar had a terrible game yesterday against Devontae Parker and really struggled and then and this team is really really reliant on its defense but we also last year they lost games in my uh, to Miami and Pittsburgh in December, um, and then all of a sudden became you know this running football team that beat the Chargers, Chiefs, and the Rams in the playoffs. Yeah, there's that to be said for sure. I like that game. The one the rematch the we have this year is the Seattle Philadelphia game, and mm-hmm. Seattle is a much different team now going into Philadelphia because obviously both teams are very injury prone. Seattle had to go sign Marshawn Lynch off the street to fill in there. They have to fly east for this game, which is at 440 on Sunday. So 
I know the Eagles. Well, it's, are, it's I'm, interesting I'm, for whatever reason. Okay, uh, you have three teams playing this weekend. Okay, and some of it because they lost, and some of it because they sat people. Keep in mind that Buffalo, Minnesota, and Seattle all head into their playoff games this weekend, losers of their last two games. Yeah, it's an interesting fact there. I did not consider that at all. It's the funny time of the year. And it actually will play out more this next week um, because the teams that are off this week um, and those teams that sat some people on Sunday will in essence be giving their teams three weeks off if you really think about it. And I'll be curious to see how – I mean, I'll just point this out. It took Baltimore a little bit to get out of the garage, for lack of a better word, against Cleveland last week after they had not played for 10 days. And, you know, no Lamar Jackson. Yesterday. Although I will say their offensive line, and, you know, they still did their thing yesterday. They had over 200 yards rushing. They just didn't do it with Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram. So how you handle – uh, the off week to me is, is as important as anything else. It's very easy to get out of rhythm, um, especially when you're winning and you don't want to lose that winning feeling. Yeah, that makes some sense. But that's my last question for you about that Seahawks Eagle game. I feel like this is sort of like a weird mirror to that time the Seahawks were a seven and nine division winner and they were not getting much respect against a strong Saints team that went on to win that game. Do you think the Eagles, despite all their injuries on the offensive end with the right tackle being hurt, the tight end being hurt, do you think they have a good chance to steal this game against the Seahawks team that is not playing his best football right now? Yeah, I mean, listen, Seattle has not played good defense throughout the whole year. Um, it's it's funny they are a they are an eleven and five football team, which has only scored seven more points than they gave up this year. They damn near gave up four hundred points this year. Think about all those years when they were leading the league in points allowed, fewest points allowed, and they gave up less than three hundred. So. Everything with them is a back and forth and a back and forth and a high scoring affair. And, um, you know, when you play defense like that, you can make an average offense look very, very good. And, uh, you know, Russell Wilson's had a lot thrown on his shoulders, especially the last couple of weeks. I understand why he could be, you know, considered an MVP because opposed to the years when they were winning Super Bowls and going to the playoffs consistently. Um, he was like the supporting guy with the running game and, and their defense. Right now, they're an offensively-driven team, and they're very, very reliant on him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Russell Wilson can do this weekend in Philadelphia. Russell, thank you for the time today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, do everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to? Oh, sure. That Football Guru uh, is my account. Um, I am also co-host of a podcast and uh, a section on my website called PFG Vibe, which is me and Julie Boyd. Um, PFG Vibe is on Twitter. You can also follow Julie on Twitter, Julie Voted underscore PFG. We do a weekly segment called Pat on the Back. It's our awards segment. Um, we will have playoff previews coming out this week. And we're also trying to sneak out a little podcast maybe later in the week as well. All right, Russell, thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. All right, and there you have it. That was Russell Baxter um, of Pro Football Guru to do the NFL playoff preview of Wild Card Weekend here on the podcast. Up next, we will do some picks for Wild Card Weekend with Troy Moriello right after this. Show me the money. Let's look at this. I think I'm taking too long. Let's go! 
a spot for a Glock. I took a loss over floss, but still got a knock. All right, show me the money. NFL picks back for the wild card weekend, the start of the playoff challenge here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Just like last year, going to bring back some of the stars in the regular season pick challenge. First up, guy we last heard from back in week four, a Cowboy fan, Troy Moriello. Troy, welcome. How are you? I'm good, Mike. Thank you for having me on again. Not a problem, man. It's a lot of fun. Before we get to the playoffs, I want to address the elephant in the room with the Cowboys. When I talked to Russell Baxter earlier in the podcast, we recorded about 2.30 in the afternoon. There was no, no decision on Jason Garrett's future with the Cowboys. And as of our recording time at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, still no decision from Jason Garrett, future on from Jerry Jones. They, have, they, they were there all day. Jerry Jones met with Jason Garrett about 4.30 Eastern time, I want to say, and then being less about an hour. Then Jane Slayer from NFL Network reported that they had no announcement to make the Cowboys. The office is going to be closed tomorrow. So the Cowboys are in limbo. And my question to you, my friend, as the Cowboy fan, is mm-hmm. this. What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> what is going on out here? I, I really have no idea. I mean, listen, it's it's been 10 years or nine plus years of suffering under Jason Garrett. And I guess Jerry is just, just intent on continuing that suffering for as many uh, more days as he can or even, God forbid, weeks as he can. Uh, this this seemed like it was, you know, the most basic decision in the NFL really, that he was not going to be fired. Obviously, his contract was up and that he was going to be let go and then we could move on and, and get with the coaching search. And for some reason now, like like you said, a full 24 hours have passed since the season ended and no word. And I'm getting a little bit worried now that he might be even getting brought back or something like that. Or Jerry's thinking of a way that he can bring him back. Uh, I don't want that. Obviously, no one wants that. But that's kind of in the back of your mind now. Um, you know, J- Jerry has, has loved Garrett for forever now. You know, we know how much he loved Jason Garrett. He probably should have moved on from him after uh, 2013. He did not. He could have moved on back for, uh, from him after 2015. He did not. Now it comes time to really do it, and he doesn't want to do it. Uh, he's been grooming this guy to be a head coach really since since he was a player for the Cowboys now, 25 years later. I think Jerry just does not want to admit his mistake. and He's doing everything that he can to not have to admit that he was wrong with Jason Garrett, that Jason Garrett ultimately was a failure for the Cowboys, and, and it's time to move on now and find a real head coach. Yeah, it makes no sense because, I mean, even in the meetings today, I mean, I was keep I basically following like the Jane Slayer Instagram stories to get updates on this mm-hmm. because she was in the building and like mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, you know, I talked to the players, like the players said he was basically talking to them like he was saying goodbye. He's telling mm-hmm. his assistants, you know, who don't have contacts, go look for jobs as opposed to keeping them to stay. Even Jason Garrett mm-hmm. thinks Jason Garrett's not going to be there, but Jerry Jones <laughs> does not think so. Yeah, and that's the thing too is it it just seemed like a foregone conclusion with this, you know. You know, you watched the broadcast yesterday. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman were basically talking about this team like it was going to be moving on uh, without Jason Garrett going forward. Jason Garrett, I don't know if you saw, was on the field with his family after the game. They were playing around. They were hugging him after the game, uh, after everyone had left the building. It seemed like he kind of knew this is it. This is over. And now here we are. We've gone through a full day. It's not over yet. It seems like all of the the firings and, and personnel moves have sort of been made, at least with head coaches. And yet, you know, here's Jason Garrett still as head coach of the Cowboys. It just, it blows my mind that, that it, it, it blows my mind, but I guess it really shouldn't blow my mind just with how 
Jerry Jones has operated this, this franchise over the last decade. Yeah, it just it is really frustrating. I mean, you saw today the Giants dismissed Pat Shermer this morning. The Browns didn't even wait till today. They fired Freddie Kitchens last night. This is going into tw- into the new year, and we're not going to have an answer from Jerry Jones yet. I mean, he's had a decade of track record there. I mean, what more does he need to see? Exactly, and and the whole point, I, like, listen, any other year where the Cowboys were not in the worst division in football, I think I think he very well may have been let go during the season. You know, you look at that Buffalo game, you look at that Chicago game, they didn't show up for those two games, especially on the defensive side of the ball, especially in that Chicago game. They, they were embarrassed on national TV two straight, two straight weeks, two straight Thursdays. The only reason that they were keeping him on was because they were still alive in the division. They had all this time to prepare for this Philadelphia game, uh, it was the biggest game of the season, and they scored nine points, and they looked terrible, and they they get blown away really to start the game on defense, and their offense can't do anything. That, in my mind, should have been the moment right there where you just said it, it, it's over, it's not going to happen, and that that sealed his fate, obviously. And yet, here we are again now, and we still don't have an answer, and it it just blows my mind. Yeah, maybe we should have seen this coming because every time that Jerry was bass was like. I have no comment on Jason Garrett's future. I have no comment on Jason Garrett's future. I feel like maybe he's like just sort of being defiant to a point like, you know what, I don't want to be told what to do. I'm gonna make a decision on my own. Well yeah, exactly. And he and he and like I said, he doesn't wanna be, be told or he doesn't want to admit that he was wrong. And he has he has groomed Jason Garrett to be a head coach really from the time that he was on the team. He's groomed him to become the head coach of this team. He's stuck with him through all of the adversity that they've dealt with. Uh, in terms of his, his coaching style. And, and, you know, he just does not want to admit that he's wrong and he's incorrect here on Jason Garrett. He's been incorrect for the past decade. And, you know, we're kind of we're kind of seeing it now where other teams are already moving on and scheduling head coaching interviews. And the Cowboys are, what, reminiscing on the Jason Garrett era that featured, what, two playoff wins and three playoff appearances. So I, I don't understand it. I don't either because, I mean, to be honest, like, no coach in the NFL has gotten less out of more this past like couple of years than Jason Garrett has. Because you look at the Cowboy roster up top to bottom, I mean, there's as much talent as anybody in the NFC. They should be in the playoffs getting ready for a game on Saturday, but they're not. They're sitting at home because they, they were poorly coached. I, I really think that you could put almost any other staff in the NFL on this team, and worse, they would have been 8-8 eight eight this season. So, so, so Jason Garrett and his staff, basically took this team to the worst possible record that they could have taken them to. And like you said, this this roster is so talented. You, you look at this roster, Dak Prescott, you're probably never going to have a type of season that Dak Prescott had uh, this season. You're never going to get that out of him in the future. He, he was an MVP level for a good portion of the season. Ezekiel Elliott is, is a top-flight running back, but how many more years of that do you have left? Same with the offensive line. And now you have to pay, guys. You have to start paying Amari Cooper. You have to pay Byron Jones on the defensive end. You're gonna, you have to pay Dak, obviously, as well. You're going to lose some of that depth that you have, and this may have been their best chance, really, to, to make a run, even though the NFC is kind of loaded this season, and they go 8-8. Eight and eight. So, I mean, they, they basically wasted so many years, and this is just another one of them. Yeah, it is another waste of a year, and assuming they do the logical thing here, assuming that Jason Garrett does get let go, who would you want to be the new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? Well... About a month ago, I, I really wanted uh, Jim Harbaugh from Michigan. That's not going to happen. Obviously. That would be my dream uh, candidate. I think of the realistic ones, I would have to say either Urban Meyer or Lincoln Riley. I want to go to the to the college ranks for it. And I know Urban and Lincoln have never actually coached in the NFL, but Urban Meyer is a guy who who is a proven winner. Obviously, you look at him, you know, in, in his entire college career from from Utah to Florida to Ohio State, he never lost anywhere that he went. Uh, it's a different game. Obviously, we've seen you know guys come from college and you know, struggle like Nick Saban, but Urban Meyer is a guy that's just not going to take 
losing, you know, he's not going to accept losing. And that's the guy who I really want. And, and Lincoln Riley, I, I think that he can put together sort of an offense that, that's going to, you know, work for this Cowboys team and, and get the most out of all these weapons that they have offensively. So I would say either Urban Meyer or Lincoln Riley, one of those two. Yeah, the, the million-dollar question is always with them is, will any of these big candidates want to work with Jerry Jones micromanaging them? That's sort mm-hmm. of, I feel like, why Garrett's been there for so long, because I don't think he minds having Jerry be in the office all the time. Yeah, and, and will will Jerry, you know, want to hire a coach that, that's going to make, that's going to think for himself, really? Because for the last 10 years, he's had Jason Garrett, who's basically been a puppet for him, and is going to do what he wants to do, and he's going to say what he wants to say. So will, will Jerry want to hire someone that's going to think for himself? Yeah, that's the question. We'll see what happens there. We could probably spend another hour talking about the Cowboys if we wanted to, but we are here to do <laughs> NFL picks, so let's get to it. Last week in the final week of the regular season challenge, I had two guests on to do the picks in the holiday special, Sean Rowe and Tom Bikino from the Sorry Interrupt podcast. We They each made three picks. I made six to keep things interesting at the end of the year. Tom went 3-0 and for his part. He had the Raiders getting three and a half in, in Denver against the Broncos. That went down to the wire, but he got it. He had the Cards getting eight and a half against the L.A. Rams. They lost by seven. He had the Chiefs laying seven and a half. They won by ten. Three and zero for Tom. Sean, on the other hand, did not have a good week. He went zero and three. He had the Giants getting the four and a half against the Eagles. That one, you know how that ended up, unfortunately for you. Absolutely. He had the Bills laying a point against the Jets. That didn't work out for him. He had the Seahawks plus three. Almost had it there if if uh, Will Ta- if uh, Talisy could, could have just gotten across the goal line there. <laughs> yeah. All right. I made six picks to level the playing field. I went three and three on my picks. I had the Jets. I went head to head plus a point and a half uh, against the Bills. Won that one. I took the Dolphins getting sixteen and a half, thinking they covered. Not think they win, but they did. So <laughs> that was fun. I had the 49ers laying three against the against the Seahawks. Went head to head with Sean twice. Won both times. My losses, the Colts three and a half, laying three and a half in Jacksonville. No idea what happened there. That was one of the weirdest games of the day yesterday. Yeah, I don't think I saw one second from that game yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really strange ending there. I had the Bucks laying a point and a half against the Falcons. That didn't work out because Jameis threw a pick six in overtime to end the game. 30-30. 30-30. The new meaning of 30 for 30, Jameis Winston. <laughs> And I had the Cleveland Browns laying three against the Bengals because I'm an idiot and bet, and bet on the Browns. And then Freddie Kitchens got some <laughs> fire after that game. So, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've made the mistake on the Browns a couple times this year too. Yeah, this is my first and only time picking the Browns. I am proud of that. <laughs> so, so on the year, the Challengers went 26, 27, and one. I went 31 and 23. So. I did win the regular season challenge, and in honor of our friends from St. Louis, I have I want to have a little celebration. I'd take a page out of the St. Louis Blues book there. <laughs> I love it. Well, but you weren't as big of an underdog as the Blues, though, to be fair. I was not as big of an underdog as the Blues, though. I mean, I I basically jumped out early, stumbled a bit in the middle, picked up steam down the stretch. Okay, gotcha. And so to reset, though, we are doing a brand new challenge for the postseason, so we're going to wipe the slates clean. You and I are going to pick every game of the playoffs, so this week, so we're going to do the first four wildcard games. 
we are going to do a new format. We're going to pick the games with the spreads, but we're going to assign a confidence point scale. So okay, each game is going to be labeled from one to four. One is your least confident. This is one that you would not feel comfortable going there, going down to Empire City in Yonkers and placing the bet. <laughs> this is just one. If you had to make it, you'd do it. And four is you're flying down the uh, the Connick State Parkway to get there and, th- and throwing the money down. <laughs> okay, got it. Okay, so we're going to do these picks. We're going to go one game at a time. We are going to start on Saturday on ABC and ESPN. The Buffalo Bills in Houston against the Texans. The Texans are two-and-a-half-point favorites. Troy, where are you going? I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills here. Uh, I think that the Bills are the better team, and I think that they can win this game outright, to be honest. Um, I think that I think that a couple weeks ago when they played the Patriots, even though they lost that game, they played them so tight in that game. In Foxborough, I think they gained a lot of confidence in themselves that they can play with the elite uh, AFC teams, especially on the road. I think that they can play with those type of teams. I think that the Buffalo defense is going to give Deshaun Watson some problems. Uh, Will Fuller is dealing with some injuries, so that's big. I think that the Bills are going to kind of muddy the waters in this game and, you know, win or, or be in like a 20-17 to 17 type game. But I think that they'll win this game like 20-17, to 17, something, something around that. I think that they remind me a lot of, of those Jets teams, which you know a lot about. Of the uh, of about a decade ago with Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez, where the defense is going to carry them, the offense isn't great, but it's going to do enough. They got a quarterback that's not going to make a ton of plays. He can run a little bit and uh, and make some plays when he needs to. So I think the Bills will win this game. I'm putting uh, three confidence points on that. I'm pretty confident that the Bills will not only cover but will win as well. I'm going directly against you on this one, my friend. I am taking the <laughs> Texans full four point confidence in this one, laying those two and a wow. half points. And I was wow. like, that jet comparison is interesting. I like it. But my issue is this. Josh Allen has shown nothing as much as Mark Sanchez did in those first two years of his career. He's not accurate okay. not accurate with the football down the field. He's a little mobile. But I feel like going on the road, the Texans have a dynamic quarterback in Deshaun Watson. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the rare guys that will get Dravious White issues. It's only a two-and-a-half point spread. It means the Texans win by a field goal on cover there. So... Full four points on the Houston Texans there. So we're going head-to-head right away, which is fun. (laughs) Directly against each other. Yep. Let's go to the next game on the schedule. Saturday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS. The Tennessee Titans heading to New England. The Patriots playing on Wild Card Weekend for the first time since 2009. New England a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Troy, where are you going? I'm going to go with the Patriots laying the four-and-a-half. I'm not incredibly confident about it. Obviously, I didn't even really expect the Patriots to be playing in this game. I don't think anyone uh, really did. I don't know what to make of this game, really. And since I don't really know what to make of it, I'm not going to overthink it. I still think that the Patriots are the better team, although not by a ton. I think that their defense answers the bell. I think that their defense steps up and holds the Titans to like 10 or 13 points. This is the type of game where I could see the Patriots not really covering the whole way, you know, maybe leading like 17 to 13 and then kicking a late field goal or scoring a late touchdown and getting a stop on defense. I don't see them dominating this game by any means, but I, I think that there's four and a half at home against the Titans. I think that they will cover. I'm only going to put two confidence points on it, though. All right. We are going head to head again. I'm taking the Titans and the points. <laughs> I, I do not think they will win the game. I think it's going to be a very close game between the Titans and the Patriots, but Tennessee is built to give this team problems. They could run the football with Derrick Henry. They got a quarterback's efficient Ryan Tannehill. They have a few weapons on the outside. 
I think the Patriots will find a way to win the game because it's what they do. They don't lose at home in the playoffs. The last time they lost at home in the playoffs was 2012 to the Ravens in the Azure title game. I think the mm -hmm. Titans will give them a fight. I think four and a half is big. I think the Patriots have to win it at the gun on a field goal. So give me the points to Tennessee, and that's a confidence level two for me. So we're on par with the confidence level, at least. It's not the pick. It's just not the pick. I, I would not go nuts on this one. I could see the Patriots winning, like you said. That's why it's only a two for me. We, mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Let's go on to the next game, which I think is the biggest lie on the board here. Vikings heading to New Orleans, take on the Saints Sunday at 1 at Fox. The Saints are eight-point favorites. Troy, where are you going? This is the biggest line on the board, as you mentioned, and this is the most confident that I am in a pick. I'm putting all four of my confidence points on this one, on the Saints to cover the, the eight-point spread against the Vikings. It's a ton of points. I know that. But the Saints, I think, are, I know, one of the best teams playing this weekend. They're at home in the dome where they don't lose. Uh, pretty much any other season, the Saints are either a one or a two-seed at worst in the NFC, but they probably have home field advantage any other season. Uh, their offense has been absolutely rolling over the last couple of weeks. They scored 42, 38, 34, 46, 26, 34, and 34 in their last seven games. They're 6-1 and one in that stand. I just don't know if this, the Vikings are going to be able to keep up with them. Uh, they're probably going to have Dalvin Cook, but who knows uh, how he's going to play with the injury concerns, obviously. And plus, it's Kirk Cousins in a primetime playoff game. Uh, we know how he plays in those. We saw, we saw them you know, lose to the uh, Seahawks. We saw them lose to the Packers and how terribly he played in that game. The only primetime game he really showed up for this year was against the Cowboys, of course. But I, I'm really confident the Saints are. I know it's a ton of points, but I'm going to take the Saints minus eight, and I'm going to put four confidence points on it. All right. We are in agreement on the Saints. I, I like them to win this game, but I'm not going the other way. I'm putting them as a one-point confidence just because of the number. The eight is very, very tricky to me because I feel like this could be a game, you know, where they're up by 14 late. The Vikings could be driving down, get a garbage time touchdown, and they don't get the onside kick. Saints win by seven. That's the reason why I'm putting it as a one. I think the Saints are definitely going to win this football game. I think they def they should cover the number, but just because of the wackiness of the eight as opposed to being like a seven or six and a half, I'm putting it as one confidence point. And I, and I think a lot of people are going to agree with you in that, and I, that's why I think that line is going to be a lot lower when uh, by the time this game actually kicks off. Agreed. So last but not least, I think the game I'm looking forward to the most, Seahawks-Eagles, Sunday, 440 on NBC. The Seahawks are two-point road favorites in Philadelphia. Troy, where are you going here? Yeah, well, I'm not really looking forward to this game because I feel like this should be my team playing in it, obviously. Uh, not a big Eagles fan. I'm going to take the Seahawks, minus two here. Uh, I'm only going to put one confidence point on it, though. I think this game's going to come down to the final possession. I think it's going to be a very, very tight game. Obviously, Vegas does as well. Um... These are two really banged up teams. The Seahawks are, are, I think, slightly more healthy than the Eagles, who are just dropping like flies. Um, it's going to come down to really Russell Wilson versus Carson Wentz. You know, the, the, their supporting cast are not really going to be great at this point. I think that the Seahawks have a slightly healthier supporting cast, and I'm still going to take Russell Wilson over Carson Wentz, even on the road, because I've seen him do this before in the postseason as well. Believe it or not, Carson Wentz hasn't played in a postseason game yet, so I, I, I just have a little bit more car, uh, confidence in Russell Wilson over Wentz, even on the road. And to be honest with you, I'm going to come off like a Cowboy, uh, cowboy fan and an Eagles, Eagles hater here, but the Eagles have won four in a row. I give them credit. They took the division. They should not have won the division, and they, they stole it, basically. They played for Coach Great by Doug Peterson. Carson Wentz played out of his mind, but at the end of the day, they beat up on the NFC. They beat up on the Redskins twice, or the Redskins, the Giants twice, and my Cowboys team was just in disarray right now. So that's their four-game winning streak. Not quite sure if they're for real yet, 
We'll find out here, but for now, I'm just going to take the Seahawks minus two and put one confidence point on it. All right. We are going head-to-head again. I am taking the Eagles with three confidence points. I love them as home underdogs in this game against the Seahawks. The Seahawks have been a very, very streaky team of late. As Russell Baxter pointed out earlier in this podcast, their offense has been carrying that. They've only outscored teams by seven points in the entire season. So bad defenses can bring good, bad offenses up in ability. And I think the Eagles will get enough plays on offense. I love the fact they're getting no respect at home. They're being underdogs this game. It feels a little bit like when the Seahawks themselves were 7-9 and nine hosting an 11-5 Saints team in their building for a playoff game. They won that game on the Beastquake game. I could see something similar happening here where Karma returns the favor 10 years later. Seahawks are on the road as the higher seed, lose to the Eagles, and I just need them to win outright. I think the Eagles will do it. Give me the Eagles with the two points at three confidence for me. So we go head-to-head on three or four picks. That's the way it should be. <laughs> yeah. All right. Entertaining, to, really. to reset the picks, Bills-Texans. Texans, two and a half point favorites. Troy's taking the Bills with three confidence points. I am taking the Texans, laying the points for confidence. Pats, Titans, Pats, four and a half point favorites. The Titans, for me, getting the four and a half points. Troy laying the points to the Patriots. Both of us confidence level two. Vikings, Saints, Saints, eight point favorites. We both like the Saints. Troy very confident at a four. Me only at a one. Seahawks, Eagles, we go head to head here. Troy, Seahawks, one confidence point. Me, the Eagles, three confidence points. And that will do it for your wild card week picks on the podcast Next week, we are bringing in Joe D'Alessio, our, our good friend, the Packer fan, with the Packers set to host a playoff game next Sunday. So will be a fun time to get Joe back in the mix for picks. Yeah, Joe's going to be very, very confident, I feel like. Hey, well, if you're doing it after the game, I guess he might not be. Yeah, well, we will not – we'll not, we'll be discussing who the Packers will be playing at that point. So we'll be making Packer oh, picks. Oh, true, yeah. So it's we're going to – yeah, I think they're the 2C right now. So I think they're on track, basically, to face potentially – I'd say New Orleans, and that would be yeah, a hell of a ball game. That could be one of the best games of the playoffs between the Saints and Packers. That could be that could arguably be the two best teams in the NFC right now. Yes, it could be. And my Super Bowl pick is still alive. I had the Saints and Chiefs preseason, so I still have confidence I could get that. Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of people on the Chiefs lately. Obviously, it looks, it looks a lot better now than it did about 48 hours ago. Yes, it did. The bye makes a massive difference to them. So, as to having to go to New England, having New England come to them potentially. Exactly. All right, Troy, before I let you go, I know you're a St. John's guy. So the Red Storm are starting Big East play this week. They've had a very good non-conference season. For those of us who are not as caught up on the Red Storm, can you give me a little catch-up on them? Yeah, well, first of all, I appreciate that you're asking about this. We, we don't get too much uh, too much publicity uh, in, the, in the media here. But, yeah, the Red Storm, 11-2 in the non-conference. Uh, they came into to the season really with, Relatively low expectations. I think everyone, you know, even even the biggest supporters like myself, really just expected them to be a 500 type team. You know, maybe make the NIT. They're 11 and two. They're receiving votes in the top 25. Mike Anderson in his first year has done an incredible job. Uh, they play great team basketball. They're very very deep. They've got LJ Figueroa, who was a preseason uh, second team All Big East, and he's really played great for them. They've gotten a lot of a lot of uh, guys who did not really play a whole lot last year have stepped up big for them this year. Uh, Mustafa Heron is their second best player, and he uh, is, is battling an ankle injury right now, but looks like he's going to be okay. So the Red Storm, they go into Big East play 11-2. and two. They've beaten West Virginia. They've beaten Arizona already. A lot of confidence for me, at least, going into Big East play, but we'll see because they've had some troubles in the past. 
uh, in conference play under under uh, Chris Mullen and Steve Lavin. But we'll see if, if things change under Mike Anderson. I hope they do. Yeah, as a record, they have a big game against Xavier coming up this week, against Butler coming up this week, excuse me. So that should be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Butler and then Xavier, actually, they play over the weekend. So the Big is going to be a gauntlet this year. I think they could they could realistically send like seven or eight teams to the tournament. So it's really a toss-up. All right, and in case people are not aware, not hear Troy the first time on the podcast, he actually is the host of the Seeing Red podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how people can keep up with it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find us on, on uh, Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, the Seeing Red podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Troy Moriello, T-R-O-Y-M-A-U-R-I-E-L-L-O. Uh, we usually do a show every every week, uh, usually Tuesday or Wednesday it comes out. We'll have one out this Wednesday after the, after the uh, Butler game. And yeah, just uh, breaking down St. John's because we don't really get a whole lot of uh, media attention here in New York. The, the pro teams really get most of it. So started the podcast a little over a year ago, going strong now in uh, in year two. And uh, hopefully they give us a lot more to talk about this season than they did last year, at least. Yeah. And folks who like St. John's, check this out. Troy gets some good people on that podcast. Yeah, I do. I, uh, I had uh, D'Angelo Harrison, St. John's legend, obviously. Um, and then... Probably my my coolest guest was Howie Howie Schwab, Stump the Schwab, if you remember him uh, from a couple of uh, of years ago on ESPN. We have Zach Braziller on; he's like a regular contributor uh, from the New York Post. So, a lot a lot of fun guests coming on throughout the year. All right, Troy, thanks a lot of time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, are you a Star Wars guy by chance? I am, but I haven't seen the new movie yet. I'm, I'm not a fanatic, but I, I've I've seen all of them. I haven't seen the new one yet. So. Have you seen The Mandalorian on Disney Plus? No, I, I need to get to watching that. I, I've heard good things about it. I have not seen it, though. Yeah, I will get to that next on the Two Minute Drillers podcast. I'll recap season one of The Mandalorian right after this. We are back with this week's two-minute drill. You just heard the theme song of The Mandalorian, which is by far my favorite piece of Star Wars media since Rogue One. And I love this show. The music is stellar, as you just heard. The show itself is great. All eight episodes of the first season are now out on Disney+. Plus. The finale streamed on Friday the 27th, which came out after our Pop Culture Year in Review podcast was released. And you know what? I have to get into it. I'm going to throw the spoiler warning up there if you have not finished The Mandalorian yet. Okay, you have been warned. If you have not finished The Mandalorian Season 1, if you have not watched all eight episodes yet, and you care about being spoiled, leave the podcast right now. Go watch the season. It's actually not a long watch. The eight episodes combined are about a five and a half hour commitment, which is nothing for a streaming show these days. So go watch it. Come back. And I will say what a job they did with this series. They really got you invested in these characters. The finale was a testament to it. I mean, the episode opens. We end episode seven with 
kill being killed by the stormtroopers who grab baby Yoda waiting for this to come back. And the episode is directed by Taika Waititi. And you know, it's his episode when the first solid five minutes of the episode is these two stormtroopers just shooting the breeze in a waiting for Godot type scene where they're just talking about their lives, showing how terrible they are shooting accurately at the end of it. They end up just getting killed unceremoniously by the IG droid that Keel repairs, which, remember, this is the same droid that in the beginning of the series was a bounty hunter working with Mando to get the package, which was Baby Yoda. Keel refines the droid, reprograms it, and as many people predicted, it was sort of the thing that saves the day because he rescues Baby Yoda, goes into the town, weighs lace to a bunch of the stormtroopers part of his nursing and protecting routine. And in the end, we get some more backstory about a lot of our main characters. We get through ex- good use of exposition from the new villain, Moff Gideon, played by Giancarlo Esposito. We learn about Mando's origins. We learn the false truth that he was not born a Mandalorian. He was rescued by Mandalorians when a bunch of dro- separatist droids attacked his village. The Mandalorian saved him. He was raised as a Mandalorian. And he gets grievously wounded in the fight. We think at that point he's going to die, but we have this great touching scene between him and the droid where the droid wants to remove his mask to treat him. Mando says, you can't. It's the way. This is the way. No living being can see me. The droid says, you know what? I'm not a living being. And Mando relents, lets him take off the mask. And this is the first time in the entire series we've seen Pedro Pascal's face. Awesome job of directing there. Great job by creating a story arc for the droid, which at the beginning is just a mindless killing machine. At the end, sort of his own conscience, and later in the episode, we have a very touching moment where they're riding down a river of lava to try and escape through the sewers, escape the, the uh, Sith army. At the end, they get to the mouth of the river. They see that there's a bunch of stormtroopers waiting outside to basically kill them. The droid realizes, you know what? Part of my protocol is I'm going to self-destruct to protect the child and save everyone. And the Mandalorian actually begs him not to. And the droid realizes, like, you know what? You feel sad about this. The man is like, no, I'm not. And the droid says, I can hear your voice. You're sad. And then he just goes and sacrifices himself, which they got you to care more about the arc of this droid than they did in any of the characters outside of C-3PO in Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Well done there. And the story is brought to a nice conclusion. They leave you tidbits for season two with the mission of Mando to take Baby Yoda and try and find his people. That's a fun uh, quest for us to follow season two to get the origins of Yoda's species. We have not ever gotten that. It's a fun twist to turn. And nice little Easter egg for those deeply invested in the Star Wars canon as Moff Gideon survives an attack in the episode and cuts out of his crashed TIE fire at the end with the Darksaber, which those of you familiar with the deeper Star Wars canon know about, for those who don't, it is a a black sword with lightsaber-like qualities that was built by the first Mandalorian Jedi it's been bounced around in the Clone Wars. It's appeared in Star Wars Rebels, the animated series. First time we see it in live action. Gideon survived. He's going to be a factor in Season 2. And the Mandalorian did get picked up for Season 2. 
Jon Favreau announced it the day the finale dropped, and I'm excited to see this happen. The Mandalorian was a well-constructed story, great character development, great job by Pedro Pascal acting this character. We're only showing his face once the entire series. Once. That's incredible acting. The characters were well-written. The motivations were not clear. There were no random plot holes thrown in. It was all plotted out nice and neatly. I'm excited to see what happens in Season 2. And for those who have not understood the meaning of the phrase, this is the way. Watch the show. You will get it. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Russell Baxter, for calling in today to talk all about the Week 17 that was, talk the NFL playoffs. I also want to thank Troy Moriello for calling and do the first round of playoff picks here on Wild Card Weekend. For more good stuff like this podcast, including my series, The Decade in Review for New York Sports, I broke down the decade in baseball, football, basketball, and hockey. Check out the blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering there. You can find all of our episodes in the archives. There's, there was a bunch in December for you to catch up on. You got to see the John Stanko Watchmen finale, our Star Wars special, the holiday special with Ross Greenberg, our year-end pop culture review with John Stanko and Sam DeRosa. And those are all in the archives. Go check them out. It means a lot to get your ears on these. I appreciate any feedback and star ratings you can provide going forward. They'll help make the podcast even better in 2020. Be sure to follow me on Twitter as well. I'm at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag, this is the way. You made it at the end of this week's show. Again, hashtag, this is the way. Next week, we will recap the wild card round of the playoffs. We will set up a divisional round. We'll keep an eye on what's going on with the Giants and their head coaching search. We'll make some more picks and more. Until then, I hope a better weekend than Cowboys fans. Ah,